0: How's everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the militant Thomist. So uh, you may be wondering about the clickbaity title. There's two reasons behind this. Uh, talking about debunking Protestants. So the first one is you guys have to see this yourself. Look, look at this, look at this uh, thumbnail right here. Absolute cringe. It's the worst thumbnail ever. And then second, you guys. Uh, I'm going to put myself back on the screen. You guys may not know this, but, uh, the other Paul and I have been having this little, uh, little competition going on to see who can, who can, uh, reach a thousand subscribers first. So make sure you absolutely drop, there you go. Drop a tactical nuke on that like button. Make sure you all subscribe because I am 150 away. So, uh, I'm right there at the final stretch. Make sure you're sharing it. Harass your family members. Get your mom to subscribe. Steal your sister's phone. Subscribe on that. Get your wife to subscribe. Create false accounts and subscribe. Like we need to assert our Catholic supremacy on the other paw. Because this is the biggest war since the 30 years war happening right now. There will be tens of millions dead in the wake. We gotta we gotta assert our supremacy over the other Paul. You gotta make sure Holy Mother Church wins. So that's that. And uh, I won't even give you my ad. That is my ad right there. Is I want all of you, anything you can do by any means, we need victory, blood and iron, winning, supremacy. We gotta get it. Okay. So I hope the other paul sees this because i'm coming for you the other paul okay so after that let let's uh this this one's actually kind of oh crap there you go this one's actually kind of funny i don't usually uh actually i can put myself like that i usually don't uh, do stuff like this but this one was just so cringe This one's so cringe that uh, I needed to, I just needed to. So let me know if you can, uh, you can hear this real quick. My lighting's terrible. I really need better lighting in here. Okay. Then I need a better camera using that Mac 2013 camera. That's a reminder, become a patron. Help me get a non-Mac 2013 camera okay i'm just gonna start it and hope for the best that you guys actually can hear this
1: hello and welcome back to faith ministries i am chris jack and we are here today to talk about communion the lord's supper the lord's table uh just look at that thumbnail we received some comments recently about um communion we did a video on baptism Oh
0: wait, you did a video on baptism? Ooh, we got to do that one that one too sometime. Also, every time I review one of your videos, this is a uh an open um challenge to debate. So uh if uh if you're watching this uh faith ministries guy, then uh go for it
1: recently as well and so a lot of questions coming up now about communion about the lord's supper the lord's table and so we wanted to address those um and particularly one today on the doctrine of transubstantiation so transubstantiation is the doctrine or belief um in which the elements of communion or the lord's supper or the lord's table supernaturally transform into the body and blood the real physical body
0: not physical no substantial not physical physicality or um or dimensive quantity, also known as uh, dimensive quantity in Scholastic language, that is not um, a substance, that is an accident of the thing. So the physicality and the dimensive quantity of the Eucharist
1: is bread. ...in blood of Jesus Christ during Mass. Now this view is uniquely held by the Roman Catholic Church, but some form of real presence, as it's called, um, is held by Eastern Orthodox, Lutherans, and some Anglican churches. The Calvinist Reformed tradition believes in a real spiritual presence, No, it doesn't believe in a real spiritual presence. But not one of substance. So most of the remaining Protestant traditions don't believe in any real presence at all, either spiritual or physical. But they believe that the Eucharist is a memorial and a proclamation of Christ's work on the cross. Now, this is often called Zwinglianism. You can try saying that three times fast. Zwinglianism. Uh, Zwinglianism,
0: Zwinglianism, Zwinglianism, Zwinglianism.
1: 1545 AD, the Roman Catholic Council of Trent at session eight, chapter four, defined transubstantiation in this way. Check this out. By the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. The change the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. In session seven, Canon one, there is an abiding curse or anathema placed on all Christians who deny this doctrine. Check this out. If anyone denies that in the sacrament of the most holy Eucharist are contained truly, really, and substantially the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and consequently the whole Christ, but says that he is in it only as in a sign or figure or force, let him be anathema. So if you're not familiar with this term anathema, it means separated from Christ, excommunicated from the church. And in the day and age when this was decreed, people believe that if you were told that you were anathema from the church, anathema from Christ, you were going to hell. This was a, an eternal death sentence for you. So very strong language from the Catholic Church in this day. Um, it is very important to note that Roman Catholics not only believe that taking the Eucharist in the right manner is essential for salvation, but that belief in the doctrine is just as essential. Very important. Okay, so what I wanna do is give you five immediately noticeable problems with the doctrine of transubstantiation. Okay, let's go. All right, you ready? Number one, it takes Christ too literally. There does not seem to be any reason to take Christ literally when he instituted the Eucharist with the words, this is my body, and this is my blood. Christ often used metaphors in order to communicate a point. For example, he says, I am the door, I am the vine, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. But people know that we don't take such statements literally, we're not actually salt, we're not actually physical light. Spiritually, we are these things, and they're metaphors in order to illustrate a greater point, a more substantial point. Think about it.
0: Yeah. So, um, with, with this point that this point has been absolutely, uh, just discussed everywhere, uh, a, a trillion times, this point has been discussed everywhere. You can, you can see there, there's a debate. And I mean, it is, it would be in accordance with the rules of grammar to interpret Christ as being quote metaphorical, but really it's, uh, the improper versus proper, to take them in his improper sense that would be in accordance with the rules of grammar. But when it comes to the interpretation of scripture, because we can't really judge based on the, the context or the rules of grammar when it comes to uh, this statement, this is my body. So what we have to do in considering whether we take it in its proper sense versus its improper sense, is that we it, it's, it's needed to see how the church has received. How did the... How, how did those who were disciples of the apostles those in the 1st 2nd first and second century those who were disciples of those disciples in the 3rd and 4th how did they uh, gloss this phrase and this is really the argument of saint irenaeus of lyon in uh, in against heresies is how how has those authorized teachers of the church those following upon the apostles interpreted the deposit of faith and it isn't in the zwingling view that he's putting forth as is clear from saint iran i mean saint ignatius and at all, i'm sure you guys already know about all of those uh all of those statements so i don't really need to go into specifics but but yeah
1: about this let's say for the sake of argument that in this instance christ did point a more substantial point think about this let's say for the sake of argument that in this instance christ did mean to be taken literally what would this mean Well, it seems hard to escape the conclusion that the night before Christ died on the cross when he said, this is my body and this is my blood, that it actually was his body and blood the night before he died. If this were the case, and Christ were really meant to be taken literally, then what we have is Christ, before the atonement was actually made, offering the atonement to his disciples. Honestly, I think this alone gives strong support uh, for the denial of any substantial or real presence in the doctrine of transubstantiation. yeah, I wasn't really
0: getting why this argument followed, because I mean, I, I don't know about his uh, theology of the covenants, but when it comes to the Old Covenant, there is a participation in, um, in the sacrifice of Christ that happens through the sacraments of the Old Testament in faith. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, he's, what he's really getting at, because of anybody's view, unless you're going to have people being saved without the atonement before the coming of Christ. You, you need the atonement to be participated in some way, transtemporally. So I'm not really getting why that would be a good argument. And then also... Yeah, and... Uh, Leonard says the literal sense is the figurative sense. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to uh when it comes to the literal sense of scripture, it's just taking uh, it ad litera according to the letters. So f- uh, figurative or metaphorical or idiomatic phrases are in the literal sense. And then if you guys uh if you guys want quest- to ask questions, I will be on for Militant Thomas after dark at seven. So save them for that. Thank you. And also don't forget, nuke that subscribe button.
1: Number three, what about the other non-representative elements? In each of the synoptic gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John, we have the institution of the Eucharist. When the wine is presented, Christ's wording is a bit different. Here is how it goes in Luke's gospel. This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Here, if we're going to take Christ literally, the cup is the new covenant, not the wine. The cup is the thing that is holy. However, even Roman Catholics would agree that the cup is symbolic of the wine. But why one and not the other? Why can't the wine be symbolic of his death if the cup is symbolic of the new covenant? I mean, that's what he says. This cup is the new covenant. Is the cup the actual new covenant or is it symbolic of the new covenant? See the issues? Number
0: No, the cup isn't really uh, metaphorical or symbolic at all. That's just called a uh, synecdoche. Uh, I, I can't the, the exact pronunciation of the of the literary form, but th- it, there's a certain literary form where when you're speaking of one thing, you're speaking of it um, in place of another thing where they're, where they're closely connected. Like, for example, if I was talking about, uh, let's say, let's say I was talking about football and I wanted to say that the Cleveland Browns, shocking, won a, game i could say that cleveland won a game now obviously i'm not talking about the entire city of cleveland winning that game but under this certain literary form i'm able to speak of the thing under one of its uh some something closely bound to it so this is different than a metaphor which is a certain sign of another thing where a metaphor or a uh, or a metaphor would be like talking about when Christ talks about I am the vine. The vine is standing as a certain sign which points to a different thing, rather than it being a synedoki, synedoki, which is which is completely different. So yeah, we would say that the the cup is is transubstantiated, but by cup we mean wine, because that's the literary figure.
1: Four, the Gospel of John fails to mention the Eucharist. John
0: 6. Okay, we can skip it. Just joking.
1: So this is a significant problem with the Roman Catholic interpretation of the Eucharist and its anathemas, which is that the book of John, the one gospel which claims to be written so that people may have eternal life, you can read that in John 20, verse 31, does not even include the institution of the Eucharist. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of Christ giving the first Lord's table, but John decides to leave it out. Why? This issue is made more significant in that John includes more of the upper room narrative than any of the other Gospels.
0: I I think this would be a convincing argument if you completely removed the Gospels from any sense of the actual writing and reception of the Gospels. I think that would would be a convincing argument if you you just completely ignored when the Gospels were written, to whom the Gospels were written, and such like that. And if you just took it in this uh, very detached sense of reading. Because I think honestly that the failure to include the Eucharist in the Gospel of John is actually an argument for uh, an even better argument for the importance of the Eucharist that it wasn't mentioned. Because if it wasn't mentioned, that means people already know about it. Because we we know from the, the Gospel of John was written by most accounts in the early 90s AD, and a mere decade or two later, we we know through the writings of uh, Saint Ignatius that. The Eucharist was basically celebrated and seen as very important in all of the churches. So not including that in the Gospel of John meant that the people were so used to it that they didn't really need to mention it. That and it also ignores the fact that this was written to a group of already evangelized Christians. So they already knew about this stuff. So really, this is the reason why St. John is called, um, called St. John the Theologian because he's expounding upon those various mysteries of the gospels, um, in, in much greater detail than the others. So he's, he's revealing the person of Christ to them. And, uh, it, it would be a little bit, uh, out of bounds to, to include uh material that would be easily present in the other gospels. And then of course, there's also John six where the Eucharist is spoken of and even, uh, Protestant authors such as uh, Peter Martyr Vermigli and even uh, even Ehrlich Zwingli would agree that this is a Eucharistic text. So, this is completely detached not only from the uh, reception of the Gospels, but also from the interpretation of the church in the Gospels, who would have always seen John 6 as a Eucharistic text.
1: Nearly one third of the entire book of John walks us through what Christ did and said that night with his disciples. Yet no breaking of the bread or giving of the wine is included. This is a pretty significant oversight if John meant to give people the message that would lead to eternal life. From the Roman Catholic perspective, his message must be seen as insufficient to lead to eternal life since practice and belief in the mass are essential.
0: Again, the this is coming from a point of view that the, that the scriptures are detached from the church and detached from the life of the liturgy, which it never has
1: been for eternal life. And he leaves these completely out of the upper room narrative. The fifth and final point here today with the doctrine.
0: This is going to be the worst one. This is this might make me uh,
1: just die right here on camera of transubstantiation is that there are problems with the hypostatic union and the Council of Chalcedon. So let me uh, explain this because it's a little complex, but bear with me. Orthodox Christianity, not Eastern Orthodox, but Orthodox Christianity holds to the hypostatic union of Christ. This means all Christians really uh, kind of bind together on this, and this means that we believe that Christ is fully God and fully man. This was most clearly defined at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. It's important to remember that Christ had to be fully man to redeem us. Christ could not be a mixture of God and man, or he could only represent beings who were also mixtures of God and man. Does that make sense? Christ is and was one person with two complete natures. These natures do not intermingle, they are without confusion. In other words, his human nature does not infect or corrupt his divine nature, and his divine nature does not infect or corrupt his human nature. This is called the communicatio idiomatum, the communication of attributes. Christ's humanity did not become divinitized. It remained complete. And
0: It did not become divinitized. Do you want me to show you the actual quotes from the people at the Council of Chalcedon, Chalcedon where they talk about the divinization of Christ's flesh, including St. Cyril, who was basically the leader uh, of, of Ephesus, which was the most important um, council in influencing the Council of Chalcedon. <laughs> it this is what happens when uh when you you know enough to get in trouble you know it's uh it's it's like the old saying if you know little greek you're 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 gonna it's a heck of a lot more damaging than if you know no greek so so when it comes to the relationship between the natures of christ what you have is you do have a theosis or demonization because with the union of uh, the hypostatic union, the relationship between the natures. There's what's called the grace of union. Now, this isn't a mixture between uh, the natures, but in the same way that uh, that we participate in the divinity. So also, uh, to, a, to a greater degree, Christ's humanity participates in the divinity, not taking away his attributes of humanity, but elevating his humanity to, uh, to be able to do things that ordinary flesh cannot do. For example... When Saint Cyril, in the Twelve Anathemas, which were included in the Council of Chalcedon, believe it or not, you you had um, you had I think it's a 12th Anathema, one of one of them, where he talks about Christ's flesh being life giving in the Eucharist uh, b- because there is this um, divinization of the flesh, and now uh, the distinction that's going to be made is between First Act and Second Act. So in itself. Christ's flesh does not have these um, superhuman attributes, because remember, it's according to capacity, so it's not uh, corrupting uh, the humanity. But in first act or uh, from his humanity, he doesn't have these. But insofar as the humanity is an instrument of the divinity and elevates it above some of the functions uh, that we have, then therefore we speak of it as divinized or in second act. And this is just basic um, Chalcedonian Christology, if you actually read the Chalcedonian Fathers.
1: In perfect humanity with all its limitations, the attribute of omnipresence. Divine nature does not infect or corrupt his human nature. This is called the communicatio idiomatum, the communication of attributes. Christ's humanity did not become divinitized. It remained complete and perfect humanity with all its limitations.
0: Do those limitations include walking through doors? Just just a quick question.
1: The attribute of omnipresence, for example, being everywhere at once, cannot communicate to his humanity to make his humanity omnipresent.
0: That is correct. His omnipresence um, in an absolute sense, cannot communicate to the humanity. But again, um, actually, I'll just keep I'll just keep him going a bit because he's going to come into an error again with even interpreting inter- interpreting transubstantiation.
1: If it did, we lose our representative high priest, since we don't have this attribute communicated to our nature. We are
0: actually the, uh, again we participate in the divinity through Christ. So ironically, uh, it's even better news. So we don't have to put down Christ and say that there wasn't a communication of, of, uh, of, of certain attribute, relative attributes, not absolute attributes relative, according to the capacity of his humanity. So for example, with the, uh, communication of beatific knowledge, which happens, um, which was written about after Chalcedon against the Agnoite heresies, um, when it comes to that communication of knowledge, as an infant, Christ would have all the possible knowledge of an infant. As as an adult, all the possible knowledge of an adult, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it, so what what happens is that in in our in our union with Christ, we are actually raised up. It's better news than Christ has to be put down that we he might be on our level, but rather Christ's uh, humanity in the in the hypostatic union is raised up and divinized. Not in an absolute sense, again, not uh, in a sense of mixture, but in a sense of, um, of second act, as I said before, in a, in a relative sense that it doesn't destroy the humanity. And so also we raised up with him where like Maximus the Confessor will talk about how, um, how our flesh is wherever Christ's flesh is and, and, and such and so forth, because, because we are actually uh, raised up, not Christ being put down. But uh, we're we're going to get into more problems going forward.
1: Not omnipresent. Christ had to exist as we do in order to be the priest and pioneer of our faith. Okay, so what does all of this mean? Get this. Christ's body cannot be in more than one place at one time, much less in millions of places across the world every weekend during Mass.
0: Yeah, just look in St. Thomas where he talks about local presence because Christ is not locally present. He's only substantially present. So, uh, again, you're just going to need to have to read all of those distinctions that St. Thomas makes Saint Thomas would would tentatively agree that um, it would be odd to have uh, Christ locally present. That and it would go against the nature of Him being substantial, not physical, because something which is contained under um, under the certain uh, in a certain location is is something which is physical not substantial and that's in physicality is an accident so so again this comes from both in a misunderstanding of the incarnation because if if i wanted to say that christ is physically present in multiple places i could say that but i don't need to say that because he's not physically present he's merely substantially
1: present therefore any real physical presence view denies the definition of chalcedon and i would
0: Actually, I wouldn't agree that a real physical presence view would would deny such because, again, walking through doors and such, uh, there's there's an ability for a relative communication, not an absolute communication. Like we couldn't we couldn't say that uh, that Christ's human mind knew all the things that uh, that that God that that Christ's human mind was omniscient, but only that he's relatively omniscient, that he can know all things that a man can
1: know the nature of Christ's humanity, rendering him an illegitimate sacrifice for humanity. So there are many more issues with transubstantiation, including Paul's lack of mentioning it to the Romans, some issues of anatomy, idolatry, and other simply practical things concerning holy orders, church history, and let's be honest.
0: So is this is this just going to be a bunch of arguments from silence or, or what?
1: Excrement. But I think these five are significant enough to justify a denial of the false doctrine of transubstantiation. Thanks for bearing with me. We'll see you next time.
0: Oh, I, trust me. This was me bearing with you. Okay, so let me see. Okay, I don't see any any right there. Remember, remember, we need to defeat that scourge, that terror to humanity. The other Paul, in in getting to getting to a thousand subscribers, so assert your Catholic supremacy over the other Paul and subscribe, share it text this page to all your friends even if they don't care about theology just just to get that number up to beat the other paul Uh, take your mom's phone subscribe take your sister's phone subscribe make some fake accounts subscribe just just push it so we can finally defeat the other paul and assert our protestant supremacy okay oh wait Corey's actually heard of that channel huh Yeah, I've never heard of them. I just was looking for videos to review a while back, and I saw that, and I just cringed very hard. Okay, so we're going to have, in about 10 minutes, we're going to have the After Dark stream, but uh, thank you for being here. And do penance, for the kingdom of God is at hand.